0: Starter, Chinch. Sorry? You can have a starter when you take this out of lunch. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And a pudding. Really? So uh, so pooh, maybe three, not pudding. Three-course
1: extravaganza. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why, why? Just wondering. Why don't you like the caramel coffee? It's Chinch's favourite. Yeah, the I like th- that. It
0: just tastes a bit weird. It doesn't taste like coffee.
1: Does it taste of caramel?
0: It tastes a bit too caramelly.
1: <laughs> you like caramel shots. What? You oh, like what? lattes with caramel no, shots. I don't do that no? anymore. Do you I not have Americanos anymore. now. I don't have, don't any, it, you, have any lattes. you get fat.
2: It's just the milk. Oh, it's the milk. Can it you not put a caramel shot in it. an American? Can, but I just think it it gets too
0: too strong. It over overwhelms. Oh, that's not doesn't really overwhelm the coffee, does it? No, but it just makes it not taste the coffee.
2: Well, don't have it then, have well, no, I will No, I won't, won't be making that mistake I'm Complaining? Again, you. Just ch- there's plenty more options Just there. Just complaining to the... There's to plenty the more coffee, to SC. Complaining you're to the, you're to the waiting very stuff. welcome.
0: Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you like it. I don't like your milky coffees, no, of any sort. I, I kick against them now,
1: yeah. actively. Do you
3: think we're doing a better job of uh, advertising this particular uh, brand of coffee maker than George Clooney did? No. no. <laughs> do you know what, I also... But we've I'm
1: not mentioned it, but now you've mentioned George Clooney, people are working I'm out. I'm prepared <laughs> to say this,
0: I hate Nespresso machines. Oh, do you? I don't resent you for owning one. But I is hate that because of the disposal being forced? Partly, oh, but forced to operate them, I just cut that. So, at Bayern Munich, you know, you know, the they're really Bayern e- Munich op- forced me them.
2: to have an espresso. It's not like the Large Hadron Collider; <laughs> they're quite easy to operate. Are they as they easy to
0: operate as a spoon and a kettle? <laughs> Probably, yes. Close. Yeah, no. yeah, no,
1: I'd say easier. You've got to put your
0: thing in. You've got to do the weird. Lever. Okay, off. so
1: you've you've talked what, about water things? in the kettle and the lever to turn it on. Oh, yeah, still you don't have same. to do two things. Two I'm, surprised, things? I'm surprised. I'm wow. surprised that
3: Bayern have got a Nespresso machine from the 1950s. What do you have to wind it up? Is it Bayern
1: like... have got a massive in their press
0: room, which is excellent. Have got a massive Nespresso machine. It took me 15 embarrassing minutes to work out what the hell was going on.
1: So your problem with Nespresso is not because of Nespresso, it's because of your inability to operate it, and therefore your embarrassment in public. I
0: don't think they're user friendly. <laughs>
3: But yes, a, to it because yes, I yeah, embarrassed myself. Was there a whole queue of agitated German pressmen behind yes, you waiting yeah. to get out
0: the coffee machine? There was, and it was upsetting. And then also, the, my enemy was there, my enemy who works with Bayern's media staff. I
3: thought you only had one enemy, and it wasn't... I've got three. Oh, third
0: three. third is the guy who Hans name, Gruber. Know, who works with <laughs> Bayern's media staff. Definitely Hans Gruber.
1: <laughs> Hans Gruber died at Christmas in 1987. I'm sorry to bring you that bad news. Who killed him? Not John McClane. Yeah, John McClane. Well, he fell off, fell off the Nakatomi Plaza in... Los Angeles. It was very heavily documented today. Seen in a movie. Pa- See my paper and pen today. they really at it. What have you didn't written so far? Glass. Shh.
3: <laughs> it's my story. McLean <laughs> didn't kill him, Chinch. He just didn't save him. Yeah. It's kind s- of It was a grey area. So if, a building,
2: so if someone falls off a building, you don't catch them?
3: He could have done more to stop him falling oh, off the building. I would I would argue. Oh, my have done bosh. Oh!
1: Unfortunately, fault? Dennis Quaid was not hired to play the guy to catch him at the bottom of the Nacritay I don't think Dennis thing.
0: Quaid could catch anybody. I think Quaid could have played an excellent Ruber, though.
1: Oh, would he no. have not played an excellent John McClane? Oh, uh, he plaza- would also have played an excellent John McClane. <laughs> he's got a plasticine face. I quite, you you can't like, take him seriously. I can't see
0: Die Hard remade as a Dennis Quaid one-man show. <laughs> Can you imagine everybody.
1: Dennis Quaid in a white vest? Is yes. that what you're doing now? Yeah. Is that what you're doing? I don't. Understand is, is everybody imagining Dennis Quaid in a white vest? I don't understand why you people don't seem to like Dennis Quaid as much as I do. This is Set Piece Money, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. You join us for part three of our series on people who shaped modern football. And or Quaid. part of three of our series on Dennis Quaid. Um, <laughs> and that also that trip <laughs> to a very high-profile, well-respected and meat-free restaurant is one step closer. Ooh. Thank you, audience. Yes, we're being treated to lunch by our cash-happy former footballer. Woohoo! Tax right off. When you, when
3: you say when you say it's <laughs> vegetarian, that they've got ham and chicken though, yeah? Uh,
1: I don't think so, Steve. No. With me, Hugh Ferris, are Rory Smith, who's eyeing up the cheese sausages on the Greens menu to see if that helps him overcome his aversion to mash. Andy Hinchcliffe, who's eyeing up the double squash gnocchi. And Stephen Wyeth, (laughs) who objects so vehemently to non-meat food that he's eyeing up the veggie black pudding just to make a point. That is delicious. Oh, the veggie black pudding. Awesome. It's it's extraordinary. Each week, one of us has nominated someone who has helped to shape the modern game. Parts one and two have understandably come before this one. So do seek them out if you're coming in cold. And Coming In Cold is a movie by Dennis Quaid in 1998.
0: Also, it's really important that you do listen to them in order, otherwise you will not understand why we're talking about Dennis
1: Quaid. (laughs) After part four, we will be having a look at some of your tweets and emails, so do keep them coming in at setpiece menu and menu at gmail.com. And of course, there will be another edition of I Can't Believe That Happened, Mm. which we can't believe we're still doing. But before all that, who is our third person that helped shape modern football? It's my turn, and I nominate... Arsene Wenger mainly because he's relevant despite that who from Rory but it also gives us a chance to mark his departure from Arsenal so this will be nominated by me but very much more of a group think episode so I get away with doing less work fitting perhaps as well That after Pep Guardiola won the Premier League title, playing in a way that he was told he wouldn't be successful with in England, that we should be talking today about a man who faced similar scepticism when he arrived to become only the second foreign manager in the Premier League at that time. Third overall. Can anybody tell me the first two? Joseph Fendlos and uh, Danny Bergara. Rude Hullet at Chelsea. And how Arsenal, as well as a club, provided the perfect microcosm of English football at that time. Remember, 1-0 to the Arsenal. Boring and boorish, the drinking culture. Ten of the 11 players who started Wenger's first game in charge were British. Nine of those ten were English. And they played three at the back, would you believe it, Chinch? What? Three at the back. Three at the back. Bold, Adams and Keown all started that match. Now, the player who wasn't was Patrick Vieira, who was the perfect example of how Wenger would, for his first successful stint, at the very least... Hit on players, particularly French players, who weren't doing it elsewhere, relying more than anyone had before on a statistical approach to scouting, which of course is something else that has become very much a part of the game. The instant impact that his changes to training methods, the players diet, the style of football brought a double in his first full season In charge. That is how significant his arrival was, and how many current managers trace back their philosophy for both football and how football players should manage their lives back to Wenger. I submit to you a man who has changed the face of modern football, particularly in England, but his influence extends further, even though he didn't see it. Arsene Wenger. He did also, obviously, famously discover broccoli. There was no broccoli prior to Arsenal arrival. The world, yeah. Certainly not on the plates of players no. when they had fish and chips, as Tony Adams said. And he actually said he carried on having fish and chips uh, once a week after Arsenal Mega had told him to stop eating fish and chips. But um, the point is that broccoli... Did he have to hide it, it under the broccoli, though? Was
3: it like you know, it was a massive pile of broccoli with fish and chips underneath it? Just imagine the
0: player Tony Adams could have been if he'd eaten broccoli. Did you notice change a change in the way that you were prepared... Both emotionally and physically Mm. for football matches after 1996 towards the end of your your career. This
2: is the big thing about the what he did on the pitch in terms of style of play, but also in terms of training, coaching, science, diet. He was right at the forefront of that within the Premier League. That's notable in the team, the Arsenal teams that I played against. I played against all those sides, and the, the the difference between the two was, was alarming.
1: Uh, it was the Evian and broccoli diet we should say it's water yeah. as well and uh, such was his aversion to milk as Chinchu have uh, already said on this podcast that he would ap- be horrified that English press guys would go and speak to him and have milk in their tea mm. and he, he didn't like that at all maybe a dribble at the very most and mm. those who had sugar he said that you have to and this is a story that Henry Winter tells about um, going to speak to Sol Campbell about this that you'd You'd have only a very small amount of sugar, but you would have to put it on your spoon and dip the spoon just below the tea line, let it dissolve, and then stir it, but only stir it a certain amount of time. Incredibly specific.
3: Did you, did you see the, the Channel 5 documentary documentary? Uh, about the, the, the Fergie I don't, want, I don't watch anything the Fergie TV. it was very good between the Alex, the Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger feud they actually did a reenactment of that lowering of a sugar cube into the top <laughs> That's right. of it a was cube, cup, and it was a cube not even a sort of like uh, artist's impression of, in case you couldn't imagine <laughs> like, it for yourself oh, <laughs> oh, <really>? <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a court yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: now Chinch also um, people will remember a soccer story of a recent podcast about the fact that you were told on a Monday morning after a game, to go to Withenshaw Park yes. and do some running. Some lots running? Lots and lots of running. And the story goes that after they had been prepared for their first full season, because he obviously joined in the autumn of yeah. 1996, didn't do preseason, but did in, in 1997, that Lee Dixon and Tony Adams went to him and said, what, what is this thing you're getting us to do, this, all this stretching mm-hmm. and um, all this uh, concentration on ball skills and yeah. control? do you think we should maybe do a bit more running I'm not entirely sure we're, we're ready for the beginning of the season and he just turned around and said have faith Yeah. and they I think won 11 of their first 12 games of the season that season and it completely revolutionised the way that players prepared not just for games but for also yeah. the season as a whole and the running which had been such a huge part of English football run 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 well, that run, was, run, that was
2: pre-season so
1: and getting a ball out on the of first
2: it. day of pre-season you can imagine for players like that and I was in that kind of group as running was it you didn't see a ball for probably two weeks so to get a ball out on the opening day of pre-season you think well isn't that natural no it absolutely wasn't so the players then had to understand why this was happening and adapt to the change because it was that was a huge change the whole it was more about quality than quantity and then taking care of your own bodies and understanding why we're asking you to do all this and that is a huge change in a very short period of time which those players kind of adapted to very quickly. When did that filter
1: through then to you?
2: Well, it's because of who you were working with and the foreign, the influx of foreign players as well who had been working maybe in that way on the continent. But it was someone coming into the English game and speaking to English players or British players. This is what we're going to do now. That was, it was a huge change and it was really very, very different from what they've been used to.
3: Were you getting the message from Arsenal players that you might have come across on international duty or, or socially that something different was you happening? Could, physically, you could see the difference in...
2: in they were clearly better players than I was playing with because of the success of having. But you can and see... because it, they weren't Peter Atherton. Because <laughs> they were Ray Parler, the <laughs> Romford Pele. Um, but they were physically... You so you could see something was happening, not just in terms of their technique and their understanding of how to play the game, and they were good technical players. Physically, they were leaner, stronger. Fa- everything seemed to have... Ch- and then you start to realise, and then when it came in at your own clubs, and it did, but later on, because that's the way the other coaches were working as well. It was noticing the difference because when you were playing against them, the people you were directly up against were physically very different
3: than, than you were. Because the United players were going back to the club, the the United cohorts of the English yeah. squad go, were going back to United from in, international duty, weren't they? And saying there's something strange something going happening on here. Yeah, the they're doing yeah. they're doing different things. They're training differently. They're preparing differently. They're eating. New and wondrous fruit, food like broccoli. Were you were you speaking to whichever physio was treating you at your? Well, Gary Lewin,
2: time? exactly. <laughs> nice, nice. Gary Lewin
3: was the Arsenal physio. Was
2: the England physio? Yeah. So again, there was that connection there as well. But it, it was, and it was noticeable. United players were noticing it. I was there at that time as well, and it, it was noticeable. It's something that I tended to think these weren't they, at the time. They were seemed to be strange or odd, but they were clearly perfectly designed for footballers to play football. That's what they started to do. Rather than say, well, this is what's been done for 20 years, just run people into the ground. He was very specific in saying, right, we're going to break down the team into positions and we'll train you to play your position. And to do that, it's both on and off the field. It's technically, but also how you eat, how you prepare yourself mentally, how you think about the game. But it, again, it's probably the way that he... And is, did he have the right people to be doing it with as well? Characters well, at the, Arsenal. Is, is he the, didn't have a terrible team to but start the, the with. The fascinating had a team he context
1: develop. of what he arrived into. Yeah. You said it had been going on for 20 yeah, years. Yeah, and more. It had been going on for for 100 more more years. years yeah, yeah. exactly. And Rory's written about this, that that, that it was essentially the people who were running English football clubs were trainers who would just get people to run and would get them ready physically and there was no uh, sense that they needed to prepare them tactically or or in, in in any terms of technique but Arsenal were prior to Arsene Wenger's arrival the quintessential Typically English, English team. team. Yes, absolutely. 1-0 to the Arsenal. It'd be, it, well, it was under a Scottish manager that, that happened, but it was it was all about the fact that they were defensively strong and they would grind it out and that would be their modus operandi. Yes. So he was not only coming into English football to eventually change a lot of what everybody was doing, he was having to do it as his guinea pig, the club that was considered at the time to be the most... English, and yeah. the most entrenched did in the come, way that they... Did he from Japan? Was Grandpa Say he yeah, came from? Were, yeah.
2: yeah, so he come Again, his name... So for those Arsenal players who'd had success... Who, who said,
1: Arsene, who? Who is yeah, this exactly. French guy But then right
2: for head. them to have had success playing a certain way and be certain types of player, like Lee Dixon, uh, Martin Keown obviously worked under him as well. Um, Nigel Winterburn. Nigel Winterburn, Tony Adams. For those players to understand... What must he have... They clearly must have seen the benefit, because normally... Strong characters like that who'd had success would just say, this guy's an idiot, he's no idea what he's... But he went completely... So and, that was and down st- to Wenger and also yes. maybe the players and that the he was with. And the strength of character yeah, exactly. that Wenger
1: had. And Wenger, for all those people who have known him and spoken to him, he's um, an incredibly cerebral man, but he is also very uh, a convicted man. Yes. He knows what he is doing is right. And of course, it was eventually became... One of the reasons why the last ten years have been difficult, but he's incredibly convicted. And in he terms would have of his beliefs, been, not he's been to prison. The purpose, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, the the purpose that that would have driven him to be able to be as convincing mm. to those players who might have been the exact representation of an old English player who didn't want anything to change.
0: But that's important, isn't it? The fact that he did it at Arsenal with that team. That he he if he'd gone into a, a team where there was lots of young players or kind of
1: a free thinkers like Sheffield Wednesday or Everton. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> or uh, if you you know a gen- yeah a generation of young players, or if there'd been a kind of a, almost a blank slate, and he ha- he had to tear it up, tear it up yeah. entirely, and bring in his own players, it probably wouldn't have had the same cultural impact. The fact that he turned Adams and Bold and Keown and Winterburn and Dixon into into brottily munching pasta eaters was in itself an achievement. And I think the other but the other thing that's significant is that six years previously a foreign manager with similar ideas had come into England, Joseph Vendlos at Villa, and basically been chased out by the players because the players didn't understand what he was trying to do, Mm. which does suggest, and the way it's been recorded by history is that those Arsenal players were all... Tony Adams was shocked at not having fish and chips and... I don't know. Steve Bold was was annoyed that he couldn't inject lard directly into his veins or whatever, and <laughs> Nigel Winterburn wanted to shower exclusively in gin or whatever it was. The, the 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 way that those players have been presented is as though they were kind of you know Neanderthals sort of Luddites, wandering about in a yeah. in a cave, smashing each other in the face. They must have been
1: Wait, after a gin shower. After could a very gin much shower, happen.
0: the they must have been more amenable than maybe they're given credit for to those ideas because. At Villa, when Lost came in with a, a relatively good European pedigree, I think he coached, at the, World, think he coached at, Czech, at the World Cup. And, you know, he was probably better known in England than Vender was, really. And yet he'd his results at the start weren't terrible. They weren't great, but they weren't terrible. And because he kept trying to do these weird things with the players, the players were, you know, all these great players, Ian Ormond, Droid, people like that, were just like, nah, not interested well, in this.
1: I'm wondering whether David Platt, was David Platt in that Aston Villa team and he was also in the Arsenal team? So there, there might have been... I think if, if somebody had seen it before and seen it not work or seen the way that it was reacted to and perhaps... I think Platt
0: had gone to Bari he by He had that gone stage. to Bari
1: by, by the 91?
0: Yeah, I think he went after the World Cup, didn't he?
1: Because Graham Taylor took over mm. at England and then yep. Ross took over from Taylor. I think that's right.
0: Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. A, yeah, so I think... It's think could all be checked, gone. but I can't be bothered. Anyway, <laughs> no, so I think that, that, that does suggest that there, what, there had been a bit of a cultural shift and probably like people like Reid Hullet and the fact there'd been that big influx of players after the 94 World Cup. Things were probably starting to change a little bit and anyway. And Euro
1: 96 had just happened as yeah. well, which had brought players um, to our shores, the likes of which I mean, Carol Paborski, for goodness sake, the likes of which a lot of have I told have you about Carol Paborski's story? Never seen We'll before. save that one. Save that for Save that day. one. I'll just but write that down. Carol
0: Paborski. It's a bit like Chinch's justice done with pen.
1: Chinch
2: dominates
1: <laughs> Paborski. I feel like the story is already told. <laughs> but the, this, this is... The, it's a much easier culture in terms of vengloss that, that, that Arsene Megan came it, into, but by no stretch of the imagination no. was it an, an easy culture. No, not
0: at all. And, and I'm not saying that. I just... just think it's important to note that, they, that the timing with this was right, that Vend could have come five years before and it maybe wouldn't have worked. But Arsenal's players were clearly ready in a way that maybe they, they didn't expect. Arsenal as a club was ready because of David Dean and the, the fact that they had this vi- this vision of what of what Arsenal could be. And I think maybe to an extent, Euro 96 is probably quite important as well. I think to an extent, England was probably ready, that there was an acceptance. But the other thing was, we you know, we were watching, we had Champions League on on ITV, so you know we knew about the Cruyff Dream Team. You know, I think when did when did Barcelona smash United four 0 and they had to play a, a fan, later, a fan in goal. Was that ninety seven? The but around that time there was sort of an awareness that football in Europe was. Was not becoming popular, does it? The fact that European football is so popular now is, is still relatively new and is probably a legacy of Vendor to an extent. But I, I think England was maybe ready for that revolution that Vender instituted, but that's not to dis- detract at all from the revolution that he did in- institute.
1: Yeah, uh, that 4 0 was in 1994. There was a later one. Uh, was it? So there there you was it. So On the way to the 99, I think there was that crazy 3 all. But, so but yes, the so 4 0 was 94 th- 95.
0: That Barca of Romario, Storchkoff, and Hatchi had destroyed Manchester United, completely destroyed them and there was an acceptance that english football was behind the continentals which meant that when vendor came in promoting continental methods maybe english football was willing in a way it hadn't been previously, relatively recently, to accept those methods.
3: Yeah, of course, Arsenal—they had had success, and it's up for grabs now. in In uh, eighty nine, they'd won the title again in ninety one. They'd won the FA Cup a couple of years later. So I suppose this was a club that had had some success in the recent past, mm. but had dropped off that level. So perhaps were open to the to the fact that they needed to explore new ways of getting them back to to the very top. But what? why was that why were those continental ideas even in the mid-1990s why was the idea of training well looking after your body practicing with a football for crying out loud Why? why were we importing those ideas it's not the
0: 1930s it is astonishing isn't it that like the the, the, the big cultural and for, this isn't again to detract from vendors achievements but like the the big cultural sort of difference that Arsene Wenger made was to tell professional footballers maybe not to drink a load to and, be eat professional. Re- and eat really <laughs> fatty foods. I mean, that is absolutely <laughs> astonishing that that needed to be done. But it wasn't... It, I was there at the time and it, how can it not have occurred
2: to you that that was not the right thing to be done? But it's because as an apprentice and stuff at 16 and 17, you see players used to clean the boots and tr- you, you get used to what they did and you think that's what being a footballer is all about. So it just became the norm and actually going against it, I remember I was criticised for reading books by Howard Kendall. You know, it's kind mm. of, not books by Howard Kendall, it's very <laughs> few other, but it was kind of, you're doing something really odd here.
0: Yeah. But what reading? What, so again, it was so established the way being a footballer was well, meant who, to be. Who was the player that Kendall signed and asked if they were much, was it Pat? Pat. I said, are you much of a drinker and... And Pat said no, and Kendall said, well, you will be if you're playing for Everton, son. Yeah, and as he passed over the Albert
2: Camus, the outsider, <laughs> Howard said, I think I've signed a bit of a rogue character here. Or So, yeah, again, but that, but Pat was the one that opened my eyes maybe yeah. to, to what is possible, being the person that you want to be rather than being a footballer Is this.
1: But it is testament to Wenger's changes that football realised to be able to keep up in a sporting sense with... Arsenal yeah. and with Wenger and not only the training methods and the diet but also the way that they played football to be able to do that you had to join them by copying them yes and so it might have been that English football had said we'll ride this out we're going to stick to what we do best because we have got away with it in the past we've got away with eating badly um doing crazy running sessions on the, the morning after a game or the Monday morning after a weekend game. Yeah, yeah. They have got away with it because everybody was doing it. Yes. But if Arsene Wenger comes in and change stuff, changes stuff, you kind of have to say, well, actually, if we don't do that, then they're going to keep winning. And yeah, yeah. regardless of how much I like a gin shower, I would rather win. <laughs> Which suddenly <laughs> sounds really dodgy when you yeah.
0: phrase it that way. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the, the bizarre thing about the drinking culture and that, that kind of English football as dissolute entertainment is that, like the Liverpool teams in the 70s and 80s were doing that. yeah. And they, I mean, there's a story in one of Tony Evans's books about sort of trouble, it's framed as like trouble on an away trip and it turns out it's the players who started it. They were drinking in a square. So and would that Liverpool team have been better working under the conditions that
2: yeah, are, they, they would have of been course. better so they were yeah. amazing anyway physiologically yeah. if, it was if their if talent that saw them through regardless of yeah. how much they were drinking or partying they, could, to, they were still brilliant but they would still be even better you still
1: have team spirit and togetherness without drinking I would absolutely wager. yes yeah. well, well,
0: well that's an interesting one though isn't it because it's generational so could you could have well if they all weren't no but so if we if we now
3: look so you can have team spirit without a gin shower you can have team well.
1: spirit without a bottle of spirits the it's not a that's spirit. That's not a future They're I can contemplate, team. Steve. It really isn't. I'm trying to make
3: a serious <laughs> point.
1: Oh! Yeah, but you also
3: you also introduced the concept of the gin, gin shower. shower. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> only, only got myself to play.
1: Hoisted by your own gin petard. Exactly.
0: <laughs> the um, the, the well, it's a serious point was probably quite a stupid one. But I just wonder if, for all that it's easy to scoff at the drinking culture, that in a, in a, in a sport where team spirit and camaraderie and stuff are so important, if you think about where the players in the late 70s and early 80s, for example, came from, what their background was, you probably couldn't have had team spirit in the same way without that culture. It, the, that culture must have existed for a reason, because they, that you know, Graham Souness and whoever else, they weren't millennials. They weren't eating their avo- avocado toast, not affording houses. Like they were, they they would have relied on alcohol as a bonding mechanism, which that is was where society it came back from. then
2: as well. in yeah. pops, and that that
1: was the way life was. But that was, was maybe working, lived. certainly working yeah, we're class, class society. Absolutely. Yeah, so
0: you probably. You probably did need the drinking to an extent, but by the 90s again, there had been a cultural shift. We were and, talking about...
1: And again, mid- it's not just Wenger. Alex Ferguson did yeah. it when he came into Manchester United, famously. Yes. Sort them out and broke trailed the dr- them around Manchester and broke them out. Yeah.
0: And broke up the card stores and the, the, drinkin- the drinking clubs. And, but n- the mid-90s in Britain was a time of change. It was, it was new labour, new danger. It was the things like they were talking about... Do you remember that the, they wanted us all to have a European-style cafe culture? And they kept trying to make Britain have a European-style cafe culture until they worked out that our European-style cafe culture is binge drinking and violence. <laughs> yes, <laughs> plus sitting outside in the rain. Yes, isn't exactly. There really is no
1: point in putting those two chairs outside the front of your pub because you're just going to get sopping wet. But also, but Euro '96 played into yeah, that. Yeah, it did, well.
0: and it created this. It, it was. It was a much more kind of open place. Brit- Britain in the mid-90s, early 2000s, became a much more open-minded place, I think, than than it had been previously. And Vendor, again, the timing was right for Vendor to come in and take advantage of that. I think in, in all of the the peons to Vendor after he retired, or after he left Arsenal, we all remember from a previous podcast that I went to Huddersfield for Vendor's last game, where I met my, my two friends. Yes, you're your fans of gagan
1: Preston. Oh, that is Gagin Preston. That is absolute best.
0: <laughs> and, um, <laughs> The piece that I went to write was about how this whole... The whole thing is Vendor's creation, to an extent. He's not the only one, and there's lots of other people who have to take responsibility for it. But Vendor created... He's always had this phrase, we live in a world. And he'd do a press conference with him, we live in a world where people have no
3: patience. It's it's like
1: the beginning of a... um of a deep throated movie voiceover man. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, no that's,
3: maybe that's his new job. Yes. It? That would be amazing. He's replaced the Hollywood voiceover this guy.
1: This year, we Dennis Quaid the- is <laughs> Arsene <Marcel laughs> Wenger. Quaid Actually, would make a great venue. He wouldn't. At Ge- all genuinely. genuinely, stick a stick a pair around of, round of round glasses wouldn't. on him. Rimless glasses. He would not at all. He would morph immediately. We into didn't have
0: a set piece menu movie night, Are we? <laughs> and we were going to watch three Dennis Quaid films back to back. No, to we're sh- not. To highlight his back way. to back,
1: a famous Dennis Quaid movies from the late 1970s. <laughs> we not.
0: The, but no, so he, yeah, he had this. Fr- <laughs> has this phrase: "We live in a world, or, or this is a world where." And it would work as uh, "This is a world where a shark comes out of the ocean and eats the, the swimmers." The thing about doing impressions of Arsene Wenger, his accent is not French; it's German. Very important to remember. Because
1: he's from Alsace. Because he's from Alsace,
0: he's an Alsatian.
1: Is it? <laughs> yeah.
0: That was always one of my dreams with <laughs> Arsene to get that into copy, the Alsatian. <laughs> <laughs> the Alsatian last night blasted. By by Al- <laughs> by the Alsatian. Barked at his players. <laughs> but the um, but a lot of the the Premier League edifice that we see is built on is has been built by Wenger. It's part of the reason it's so popular is because of the style of play that he helped to institute, the methods that, that he, he encouraged, the fact that he went out and used the, the foreign market. He was the first manager to really recruit players from abroad effectively yeah. and not in the, he played well in the World Cup, let's sign him, Thomas Brolin approach. The, all of that start, kind of started with Wenger and all of that fed into what the Premier League has become. So you, it's not just that Wenger changed the Arsenal, he kind of
3: changed the landscape of modern football. But, mm. but, 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 as we discussed with the, with the Jimmy Hill episode a couple of weeks ago, much as there is to admire and delight us about the influence of, of Wenger on the game. The, the fact he was able to go to Europe and sign players, fantastic. He signed the right players. But, that, but did that not set, though, the, the dominoes falling in motion where any player playing in a different country was seen as fair game for the Premier League and we signed a whole load of duds because other managers other That's scouts other recruiters weren't as good as I weren't as good at identifying the right talent because Arsene Wenger has a, had a really good strike rate with bringing French players to Arsenal but the Premier League's strike rate at bringing French players in is 50-50 at best. That's Brewery, not his
2: fault was it he can only no, yeah yeah but he, promoting
3: he, the idea, he of this threw is, open yeah, the doors, yeah. but not everybody was quite as adept at making the correct selection. Yes. But
1: that's that's why Arsene Wenger is a person who helped shape modern football, and all those people, scouts or managers or chief executives who brought in those duds are not because he did it successfully. He did it well because he applied the methods which have been copied, but not so successfully used because it's not necessarily as easy as all that. Yeah,
0: but we're not even not even that. We're not we're not saying that that he shaped it exclusively, or any of the people we've talked about shaped it exclusively for the better they they just shaped it, so the fact that Vendor, Vendor did kind of open the doors to, to foreign recruitment and show that you could And the other thing that's significant about him is that he showed that you could have a team that was largely comprised of foreigners
3: and still do well. And the football that that played was always something,
1: or could be, attractive. So it's his fault that the English
3: English national team are rubbish. No,
0: because the England national team was rubbish before Arsene (laughs) Wenger was born (laughs) and has been rubbish ever since. The England national team being rubbish is entirely the national team's fault.
1: Well, at this point in the World Cup, England might be out, and if they are, it may well be that Arsene Wenger is the new England manager. Congratulations. That
0: That would be feasible. The, um, no, I think that you can see in his his legacy has, has negative consequences that he wouldn't have foreseen. And yeah, one of those is that lots of people went out and thought, it's cheaper to buy players abroad, let's do that. If they've got a, a Cedilla on their surname, then they'd almost definitely do it at football. Definitely. But the fact that, that is a change that he helped
1: institute, and though it's a positive and a negative change, it's still a change. There is a, a sense of why he was so great and visionary and important, but there is also in this story a sense of what was to come and partly what was his downfall in the latter stages of his career at Arsenal. The day he arrived, Bob Wilson met him, took him to London Colney uh, Training Ground as was and essentially within a few minutes of stepping on his new turf, he was saying, that needs to change, that's not good enough, that's, that needs to change and they revolutionised everything at the training ground, completely rebuilt it, invested a huge amount of money to the extent that it was one that England used to use before they had St George's Park. So Bob Wilson tells that story to highlight just how aware Arsene Wenger was about how much needed to change at Arsenal, but also just in terms of facilities around for everyone so that he could enact everything that he wanted to, Mm -hmm. so that there was a place where he could be forward thinking. But of course, then that happened to influence his decisions about financial outlay when uh, the Emirates was being built so he would be very much more interested in making sure that the basis was there and that financially they were solid going forward he thought that the influx of money that came in with Abramovich would not be something that would be sustained uh, there wouldn't be others who would follow suit because there weren't enough billionaire oligarchs around the world who would come in and spend that kind this of money the of business. so He's he wanted to insure yeah. himself against any yeah. boom and bust by doing all this and in doing so of course whilst it in time, will be considered a very sensible move, no doubt, should Arsenal go back to the top of English football and start winning trophies again. But during the period that they were moving and the years that followed, it hamstrung them. They weren't able to compete with those other teams that did have huge amount of money. And Arsenal have always had money, but they've decided not to um, use it on a whim. They have decided to be very much a careful Uh, Club rather than the carefree spending that they considered was happening elsewhere. But that is the root of some of the problems that Arsene Wenger had. He was so determined to, to be cautious and careful that he wasn't aware that the trend was actually moving away from what he thought he had brought to the Premier League, what he thought he had brought to Arsenal and what he thought was important for the future of both the Premier League and Arsenal. And so he was left behind and that was almost a catalyst for the second half of his reign, which was, even though he was the visionary that set all these things in motion, he was so very much wedded to his vision that he found it difficult to move on when others had passed him by. Yes,
2: it's like the signing of Aubameyang, these huge transfer fees, huge weight. That's something that Arsenal, clearly to be run as a business, he was thinking this is what we shouldn't be doing. We're investing in all these areas. All the other clubs maybe are doing that. So in the end, was it what tipped the balance to was his hand forced? I think or did he feel I, I've got no choice now. If I want the the best players, I've got to do what maybe all the other clubs. I think there's
0: are probably doing. three it, there's three distinct areas to vendors time at Arsenal. There's the there's the rise until two thousand six when they make the Champions League final. There's then kind of solidification mm-hmm. between 2006 and 2013 which is when as Hugh says they're kind of paying off the stadium I think there's an interesting debate to be had about whether they'd have built the stadium if they knew that the TV money would go the way it did I think that's that's still something that, that fascinates me whether whether you need a stadium but of that.
1: I think Wenger would have pushed for that not just because of the fact that it was sustainable for the future in terms mm. of money and ticket revenues and everything, but he wanted to house his team in a place that was befitting yeah. his football philosophy. And also
0: that that's the other thing that's quite important about Vendor that, that gets lost a little bit is that we talked and we talked about last week we talked about kind of the United battering around making making English football popular. The way Arsenal play and the stadium they play in are quite have have been quite an important advert for English football. They have made the Premier League look better and that and become more popular and there is a, there isn't a legacy there. I think yeah, after, so then t- 2000, it's 2013, he, he solidifies everything, he maintains Arsenal. It's kind of a, it's an elegant stasis almost. Then 2013 to 2018 is probably where you say they start to decline. Despite the FA Cup wins, they are gradually eased first out of the Champions League last 16 and then out of the Champions League altogether, and that's when he had to go. So was that
2: down to their philosophy? You think? Last five
0: I, year, Did he need to be more I think adaptable in that? There's, lot, there's lots it? and lots of stuff that was at play, but I think the main thing with vendor is that for someone who in- instituted such great change, he got caught out by the game-changing around ah. him, which is what Hugh was a- alluding to. So, yeah. first of all, he he runs into Chelsea, and Chelsea suddenly does that. that that's the 2004, the yes, first year of Abramovich. Arsenal are invincible. They yeah. win the title. Mm-hmm. They were you, the last
1: team to win yeah. the tro- uh, the title before Mourinho yeah. arrived. With uh, I appreciate I Ranieri being there, yeah. but but that you know the full force of yeah. everything. Well, that's when
0: the lead. And then just as he's starting to come out of that, and to to. Find a way to compete maybe with Chelsea down because the the worst of the stadium is paid off man City walk in and blow everybody out of the water, and I just I think the double blow of those vendor maybe couldn't cope with, and then because the t v money goes so high, you then get man United coming back and saying actually we are prepared to to, to i mean United don't have a an oil fund backing them, and they can match Abramovich and other surpass Abramovich in the transfer market and just about match man City and I think vendor wasn't prepared to do that and at the same time he's kind of getting more and more embedded in his own philosophy so he's he's almost seems to be doing that thing that I I think all managers do as they hit a certain age after a certain amount of success which is say I don't just want to win I want to win and be vindicated in winning the way I want to win and that that may be held him back a little bit as well that thing that he was staying the same and everything around him was changing he couldn't quite respond to that. Mourinho arguably is starting to fall into the same trap. I think so, yeah. They all do, everyone, even Benitez, and I'm not allowed to really say this in public, but I think if you look at, at Rafa over the course of sort of his post Liverpool or even late late era Liverpool under Benitez, sort of two thousand and eight onwards, through really to Newcastle, it becomes as much about Benitez proving that his methods work as it does finding the best way to win. And that is something that I, I think all managers succumb to eventually. And to be honest, it'll probably happen to Guardiola. It'll happen to Guardiola at some point. It happened to Klopp at Dortmund that he was he was unable to say, "I want to do things. Dif- I have to do things differently." It was well. This is what we've always done. It's worked in the past. Let's let's do it to prove it works.
1: And that's why but I said yeah. at the beginning um, that it's fitting that after Pep had yeah. managed to win the Premier League by playing his way, that we're talking about somebody who preceded him who managed to do it, but eventually, yeah, the, the time proved too much of a burden.
0: But whose influence was so great that in the middle of a game at Huddersfield, two old fellows can sit there and say, Oh that is Gaden Pressing It is his absolute best because that, that is part of the world vendor created, that people in Huddersfield know what Gaden pressing is. Mm-hmm. He didn't come up with the system, but he opened the country's eyes. And that's his that's that's what vendor changed. I think it's to, to 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 drive change
2: and then be not necessarily overwhelmed but not have the ability to then adapt when other things are changing around you. Do you think he then stayed too long at Arsenal? Yeah, the last yep. five years, not wasted. But do you think he, if he could go back, would he clearly do things
1: differently? I well It depends.
0: we know now, obviously, that he's going to be the latest judge on The Voice. So yes. we know that there yeah. were there were now offers, that
1: that information has reached yeah. us. There were offers out there for Chanson d'Amour. Is a, is a,
0: he does a lovely version. He really, he really does, does. And you know, he's, he, it's him. It's William. William. <laughs> William.
1: <laughs> William. Will I am. Will I am. William. <laughs> William. He's William. I, I William. think William. you'll find yes. that the rapper who <laughs> plays for Brazil. Is, William. is is now been replaced did, by Arsene Wenger. Did you, did you see when
3: Will I am was on a French chat show and he was captioned as Will Je Suis. Ah
1: really? <laughs> oh that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, but uh, but anyway. uh, it's grass is always greener if Wenger had left. Before those FA Cup wins, would Arsenal have won more than those FA Cups Mm. in those years? You couldn't guarantee it. There's no way guarantee it. So that is what sits in Arsene Wenger's favour. But of course, the unknown sits very much in everybody else's favour because we have no idea. But then you
2: get into a period where you're trying to vindicate what you've kind of achieved in the past. And your driving force is not necessarily playing the right way and winning things and keeping up with everybody else. It's actually saying, no, my way is the best and I've got to continue to do it to keep proving it to you. And eventually, that, you can't do continually do that forever, no. can you? Yeah.
1: Bearing in mm. mind the last few years, a legacy that's just slightly tainted, but a legacy that we should uphold as being one of the true people who shaped modern football. Mm. In, in,
0: in 40 years' time, when another group of, of dangerous mavericks come together to record a podcast...
2: <laughs> and an old guy. A former player.
0: <laughs> <laughs> who will it be? Who, and who's, the, who's the equivalent of... Layton, when Leighton Baines is doing his <laughs> podcast... The, no, not. <laughs> hang on. He's too good. Oh. <laughs> why say that? When Paul Dummett is recording <laughs> his podcast. <laughs>
1: I genuinely we we abuse Chinch a lot but that that was the first moment his face looked genuinely that is that is an awful you have failed the line I'm going to make you feel better now Chinch because it's a treat before we go another game of I can't believe that happened Yeah. each week during the World Cup we've not been able to talk about the World Cup that's because the World Cup is happening right now but we're not well we are but we won't be when you hear this but that won't stop us bringing you our reaction to the matches that happened the day before this podcast. Comes out and goodness me, what a day! Tuesday the third of July was. Mm. Oh goodness! Oh, I just can't believe it. I can't
0: believe the last 16's can't over. Can't
1: believe it. Uh, the last 16 match between the winner of Group F and the runner-up of Group E before the hotly anticipated winner H, runner-up G was the schedule on Tuesday the third of July. Yeah. So I don't know if anybody else has done a on fever.com an exciting bracket challenge. Well, I have. So. I think that Germany will win Group F and Switzerland will finish second in Group E. So Germany against Switzerland. And I also think that Colombia will win Group H and England will finish second in Group G. So Colombia and England and Germany and Switzerland. What a pair of games it was on Tuesday the 3rd of July. What can we not believe that happened? You
0: presumably mean Germany, Serbia and Belgium against Colombia.
1: Well, I don't know. People will uh, be able to judge whether that's uh, a timely interruption.
0: I can't believe that uh, Miroslav Klose had to come out of international <laughs> retirement again
3: to to fire Germany past the Serbs I can't believe that the St. Petersburg stadium is called St. Petersburg like St. and Greavesy mm-hmm. yet it is located in St. Petersburg ST as in Lytham St. Anne's. make your mind up which is it good point that's incredible mm. I can't believe that happened I can't believe that I can't believe you <laughs> said that <laughs> I
2: can't believe one of the pre-tournament favourites, Belgium, buckled under the severe
1: pressure like so much fine Belgian chocolate. (laughs) Because in Russia, the temperatures are going to be... Very hot. Searing. Searing. That was another earth-shattering edition of... Can't believe that happened. You click the nicht. Or another opportunity to prove how wrong we are about stuff. On next week's show a soccer story and another person who helped to shape modern football. Uh, by the way, we are enjoying all of your correspondence, so please do get in touch in the intervening weeks at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. And please do subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Rory and Andy and to you all for listening. We'll be back with the final part of our Set Piece Menu Summer Special for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I
0: thought Senador might do quite well in the tournament this year. And I don't know. If isn't, it out.
1: A, isn't it a shame that they are out? Or are in the quarterfinals? Or are in the quarter? Or in the, congratulations or commiserations. Who's the Senegalese Messi? Uh,
0: Sadio Mane. Yeah, he's all right, isn't
2: he? They've got. They've got. <laughs> are they on, Are they
0: pinning their hopes on him? On paper, they've got quite a lot of. They've got good players in in every area. They've got Calidu Bali at the back, who's excellent. He's a Napoli. Well, at, at time of recording, <laughs> Napoli's Calidu Kulubali. can Can't believe he's moved to Rotherham. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, when I did my bracket before the tournament, to try and work out, not, just, not to, just to try and work out where I needed to go, I assumed that Colombia would win Group H and Senegal would finish second. Would oust Poland. Thus thus coming face-to-face with England in the last 16. And potentially, I, I, I wondered if they might beat them. We'll already know. We will already know. That's
3: really exciting. That this I is, can't believe that happened. I know. We, we haven't said well done to you, by the way, who's been very gracious about... Uh, mine and Chinch's efforts previously Excuse even me. though even though really Hugh just <laughs> oh seriously he's disgusting he's just disgusting really although Hugh just basically said Arsene Wenger and then let us get on with it Yeah, I thought it was works. a really good subject matter but it was definitely a good conduit in Hugh there is one thing that disappointed I me I'm nothing Arsene if not a conduit Go on. Well, he's given us so much over more than two decades in terms of we English football but I don't feel like he's taken anything on board that we had to offer him he won't let us put milk in our tea. Mm. And he's really got no better at speaking English than he was when he arrived. He
2: never wears a coat that fits him.
3: <laughs> it's all, <laughs> all about
2: yeah, save coat.